1: Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy.
0: Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to beherenownetwork.com Slash Dale to support this podcast.
2: Welcome everybody. This is Ram Dave, Dale Borglum, at the Healing at the Edge podcast channel of the Be Here Now podcast network. That's always a mouthful, isn't it? And the all the podcasts on this network are uh, supported by your donations. So if you go to the main page and you'd like to donate, we would really appreciate that. Getting on now to what we'd really like to talk about is today, I'm so happy to be here with my old friend, John Fox. John is the founder and executive director of the Institute for Poetic Medicine, which is an organization that uses the writing of poetry as a healing modality. And John, as well as other people in his institute, have brought these programs to refugees, victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence, people living with addiction, children, prisoners and their families, people with mental illness, and I'm sure there are other subpopulations of people that you have brought your wonderful workshops to. So John, welcome. Great to be with you today.
0: thanks, Dale. Um, how are you this morning
2: well I'm, just... I'm i'm good it's It's the day after my birthday. It's two days after the uh eclipse, and people ask me that question, "How am I? I never uh-huh. know quite what to say. you know yeah. I, I honestly feel like I'm a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> And maybe I can explain that. So that on the top level of the sandwich, I'm cool. You know, I can keep it together. I've been doing this for a long time. I can be most of the time articulate and charming. And on the bottom of the sandwich is this unshakable faith in God. I know it's all okay. Uh, Money, relationships, illness, power, all those things that people worry about, I know. Huh. That 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 God's got my my back. There's a, uh-huh. there's a quote I put on the bottom of some of my emails by Rumi where he says, "Live your life as if it were rigged in your favor." Mm. And there's another one I was just looking at from Wendell Berry who says, uh, "Be be joyful even though you've considered all of the facts." <laughs> So there's this sandwich, like oh, boy. Yeah, kind of chilled out on the top, complete faith on the bottom, and neurotic in the middle. Right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so sometimes, like when you say, how am I? Yeah. All, yeah. All, all three of those levels are at play, back and forth, right? You know, So today there's guys in the house cleaning the carpet and all these different things are going on. and You know, that's fine. But sometimes things throw me off. I'm spending all day on the phone. I had to talk to the IRS today. You know, and yesterday they put me on hold for a really long time. And then at the end, they say, I'm sorry, the office is closed now. (laughs) Or I start yelling at the machine. Okay, enough.
0: Well, one time I got audited by the IRS and, um, you know, this is and she, you know, the lady turned over every little receipt, you know, and every every little receipt for like three days. And then at the end. She says, uh, well, it, it turns out that we actually owe you money. <laughs> but, but this has been such a process that um, we're not going to give it to you because, because we've gone through this whole process. So it can't, <laughs> sometimes you just can't win, you know. <laughs> but, but
2: anyway, enough about me. Let's start talking about the Institute for Poetic Medicine yeah. and you. Let's find out what you do. I'm sure people here who are listening would like to know more about using poetry as healing and maybe some stories of people who have been transformed by writing poetry and how people can get involved with the Institute for Poetic Medicine.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it begins um, with my own story um, back in like 1974, um, my right leg was amputated below the knee, and I had already been sort of doing a deep dive into poetry since I was a junior in high school, and I, I loved Ramdev, I loved making things, I loved using words to, to, to make things. And um, so I was already in, in love with language, in love with words that way, and that I didn't mind sort of um, grap- grappling with them on the page, even though you know I was only 14. I mean, what? But but then um, with this amputation of my leg, I, I realized that poetry had become a um, a kind of lifeline, and even though I had gone off to study. Um, English and creative writing and wanted to get a degree in that. It's like that, and I completed that, but it lost interest for me. And I, what, I mean, it wasn't the only thing that did it, but part of that amputation threw me into this just absolute desperate longing for God, for for needing to know that I wasn't sort of cast out, that I wasn't cast out. And, and so... People began to come into my life because I I went towards them, such as Ramdas. And I remember standing on a corner um, in Boston, because I was at Boston University with Ramdas and Beacon Street and Commonwealth Avenue. And I was really distraught. I mean, it's distraught doesn't even capture quite what I was feeling. And I was on crutches because it turned out that I couldn't for about a period of three months I couldn't wear my prosthetic leg which also freaked me out that I had to be out there in public without it. But I remember standing on the corner with Ramdas and him looking at me and it wasn't all sweetness and light at all. He he looked at me and he said in this sort of fierce voice he said you couldn't get away if you tried. <laughs> I That's, know. That,
2: that sounds like him all right.
0: <laughs> it sounds funny, but but it was like I'm sit- standing there thinking, what the, you know, like, and it was like you couldn't get away from the suffering if you tried. If What I heard then, and later, it was only later that I felt that he was also telling me that I could not be, that God would not abandon me, right. that that couldn't, wouldn't, is impossible. And in any case, um, whichever I heard at that moment, it, 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 I, I could also tell that that he meant it and that I, I I was so grateful for somebody who said what they meant and that um so um you know I, I kept on I kept writing and then eventually um and this is another place where, where our paths connect is see uh like six years later about 1981 I had moved to California and from where I grew up in Ohio, and I uh, came into deep contact with Stephen and Andrea. Levine. Stephen Levine and his wife, Andrea. And we, we had a wonderful, um, uh, wonderful connection, rapport. And eventually, and God knows why he had ever did this, but Stephen asked me to manage some of his retreats. And so as I did that, he would invite me to read poetry at some of the longer retreats, and like at the Angela Center in Santa Rosa. And so at one of those retreats, I I must have read some poems, perhaps I said something about them in relationship to my life, and this orthopedic surgeon, a man named Ken Zubrick, um, came up to me and sort of poetic justice, really, that it was an orthopedic surgeon, because that's who I'd grown up with. This orthopedic surgeon came, there's a woman you should meet who talks about poetry and healing just like you do. And I don't think anybody had ever mirrored that back to me that that's what I was doing or what he thought I was doing. So he introduced me to a woman named Joy Sheman who was a Poetry therapist working at El Camino Hospital in Mountain View, California.
2: That's the hospital my father died in.
0: Oh my goodness, there on just on Grant Road. And so this is about 1984 or '83. So I-, I was about to move from a spiritual community I lived in outside Nevada City to the Bay Area, to to the South Bay, and so. So what began to feel like a real calling be- began perhaps then, and I um, contacted Joy, and then we then she invited me to work with her. So for two and a half years, I worked at El Camino Hospital on the mental health wing, learning from her about this practice or field of poetry therapy. And it's things have just sort of, you know, sort of well, they've really flourished since that time in various ways.
2: So could you explain to me uh, the difference between writing poetry and poetry therapy?
0: Well, that's so that's assuming that there is a difference. Um,
2: Well, she taught you something for a few years. I mean, I just I thought in my naivete that you had these workshops and these retreats and things and people just came and wrote poetry and then writing that they got more in touch with their feelings and healing happened.
0: Well, that's all, that's all, that's all true. And so, so but what did, what did she teach you for two years then? I I, I, I believe she teached me how to listen. Like, like uh, I began to listen. Um, I think I could listen before, but I, I really, when I um, began this work at, at one South with joy, and I knew there was lots to learn about poems, about how to, you know, bring them to people, how to suggest writing prompts. Um, but I asked myself, I said, what am I here to learn? What do I really, really need to learn if I'm gonna do this? And this poem came on its own, pretty whole. I just say it to you now. Sure. So it's called When Someone Deeply Listens to You. When someone deeply listens to you, it's like holding out the dented cup you've had since childhood and watching it fill up with cold, fresh water. When it balances on top of the brim, you are understood. When it overflows and touches your skin, you are loved. When someone deeply listens to you, the room where you stay starts a new life, and the place where you wrote your first poem begins to glow in your mind's eye. It is as if gold, has been discovered. When someone deeply listens to you, your bare feet are on the earth and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you. When someone deeply listens to you, your bare feet are on the earth and a beloved land that seemed distant is now at home within you.
2: Beautiful. So suppose that, suppose somebody's listening to this podcast Yeah. and they feel that there's some imbalance in their life or they'd like their spiritual practice to go deeper or their relationship to be less problematic or their relationship with themselves. And they have some, they have some intuition or maybe some inspiration from hearing you just read that poem that they would like to Start writing poetry as a way, of, as as part of their healing journey. What advice would you give them? How how would they proceed, other than buying a pencil and a and a blank book? <laughs> well, actually, that's what you took. That's what I would say.
0: Get a get a good sharp pencil or a pen you like and a a notebook, a blank book, and just keep that nearby. Put it by your bedside write down um a thought you don't have to think of um, one one doesn't have to think of some poetic thought um one can um, just begin um you know i mean there's like uh, there's there's a there's a poem um it goes. Do not wipe your tears away. Let them flow down your cheek. Let them create a stream on your face to allow the healing waters to flow. Let them. And so, um, so I could just just to people listening right now at this moment, um, take those that first line that says, "Do not wipe your tears." Make it, "Do not wipe my tears away." Dot dot dot. And then there's a the phrase, "Let them." Let them, let them. So include that. Make a poem using those two phrases. The beginning phrase, a prompt line: "Do not wipe my tears away," and then just the two words, "Let them," and go, and write from there. Um, you asked the, what is the difference. So here, you know, we're not trying to write that we're going to publish a poem in, you know, a magazine or um, have it judged by judges and. But instead, um, we're going to do this for ourselves. We're going to begin to trust our own. And some people listening to this have certainly already been writing. But if you haven't, um, this is a, a way of beginning to tr- just trust your own um, sort of self and, and let it unfold. Um, so r- write that down and then find a friend will you feel would just you just say i just like you to listen i don't i don't need you to make any kind of you know interpretation or comment just would you just li- like a poem about listening would you just listen to me and you know see if you can find a fairly quiet place and just read them share that poem with them and then see how that feels in your heart
2: thank you That sounds easy enough. And at some, and at the same time, deeply challenging.
0: What's the challenging part? What's for for you? What's
2: well, uh, (laughs) uh, I laugh because so many years ago, I, when was it? I mean, it was like back in the 1980s, I was teaching a workshop with my friend Wayne Muller, uh-huh. Who has written any number of books? A beautiful guy, and he had a he had a book editor. A, a, he had a literary agent who I met, and she said at that point, thirty years ago, that I've never met somebody who had uh, such a good book in them that hadn't written a book, <laughs> and that was thirty years ago. I still have written the book, so uh-huh. you know, every year I'm writing newsletters and and. Uh, I write stuff, but it it always feels to me like uh, squeezing blood out of a rock, because I'm writing stuff to be published. Right. And I have a kind of, and I'm writing nonfiction, and I kind of feel like a perfectionist and a poet. So I like the the sentences that have a certain feel to them and a certain flow. Huh. I mean, writing's hard work. Well. (laughs) For me. For me. Yeah
0: yeah i mean and the kind of writing you're describing i mean you know i've written a couple of books and you know it, it's been it's been hard work um and right. sometimes it's sometimes it's been really joyful but then here's um but uh, you know so part of what i would do in my work if i was working with you ramdev um you know is like to how to encourage that you know there, there's a little poem by a wonderful poet charles olson and it's it's um It's very short. It's like 22 words. Um, It goes like this. Um, Whatever you have to say, leave the roots on. Let them dangle. And the dirt. Just to make clear where they come from. Whatever you you have to say, whatever you have to say, leave the roots on. Let them dangle. And the dirt. Just Uh to make clear where they come from. That's it. Right. So
2: so so I get that. But you're like, I'm writing this newsletter article but, okay. that is in this newsletter, our annual newsletter, which is our only fundraising appeal of the year. Right. 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 So I'm trying to I've I, i, I I've got this little pin I can put on my shirt. that says cleverly disguised as a responsible adult.
0: <laughs> so what right. does that mean to you? Leave? I know. I know you've got to write the newsletter, but what is it? So I'll ask people. I say, "Okay, what does it mean for you if you heard this line to leave leave the roots on and the dirt? What, what, is that, what does that what that mean? What to is, me? What is it what does it feel like to you? Leave the mean and feel and what what you know? What, me, so
2: what it feels like to me is uh, there's a quality of being feral, but kind of being wild uh-huh. and uh-huh. untamed, and something that's just growing and uh-huh. is on. Un- Untamed in a certain way and uh-huh. uh that you just let the words pour out and there's a certain uh earthiness about uh-huh. them yeah uh-huh. and then maybe later you go back in and clean it up a little bit so you're not getting dirt all over the carpet of the homes okay. or the people that it's going to but that you just you just let that dirt come out
0: so so you know, what i might suggest is say i just let that dirt come out you know okay um But okay, so you used a word. I just wanted you to to know this. You know, I have on some things I have a good memory, and I've shared that poem with thousands of people for decades, and nobody, I'm sure of this, nobody has in response to it has ever used the word feral. Uh huh. It's it's so take that in. I mean, it's it's like your. I'm just saying that you know your sort of gut or heart or whatever it is, feeling to that, that it's allows for a certain feralness. And so you might um, write a poem that you title feral, and then just see, go from there. Okay. And don't worry about your newsletter. It'll, it'll, it was not.
2: It's gotten way easier as the years have gone on. My friend, Andy Lamott, who's one of the podcasts on this channel. Yeah. She's got two instructions for writing. Okay, write shitty drafts, write small assignments. That's
0: okay so that, that's, okay, so here, and of course, you know, Annie Mott is you know a brilliant and a master, but here's a difference I can point out between poetry and healing um, and you know, I think what she's talking about like write shitty drafts. Um, yes, but we're not again, we're not thinking about publication. I'm thinking about like if I have just lost someone who is absolutely beloved to me and i can, I cannot see how i can go on um I, I don't care about i just i need to get something down on that paper because my my immune system my soul's immune system needs to say something if I can allow it so do you hear me do you hear me that i'm not like the idea that i I'd don't only want people to think about um is this a shitty draft or is it not a shitty draft? It's like it's it's my it's my words. I, I here, here's um, a story that I think is important. Um, so I, I was with a group of people in their nineties at a um, an assisted living place, and many of the people had um, a dementia or um, sort of special forgetfulness. And I would uh, re- I was reading poems to them, and we were just. I have to tell you that they were the most delighted group I've ever worked with. They were so happy and they, they would, they were so pleased just to hear these poems. However, there was one woman who was about, who was 86 and she was young. So she was younger and she was a little more um, sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, Not skeptical, but um, she was thinking. And so there was one moment where I had a big dry erase board and I was going to, Have people write, speak a poem about gardens and just a line, any line you want to say we will write it down. So I moved towards doing that. And this lady, Martha, she just I could just feel her body language sort of shut down. And she didn't she wasn't going to write. She did not say I don't want to write, but I could just feel her withdraw. So because I was just enjoying this experience of sharing, I just let it go. So I let it go, and then maybe 10 minutes later or so, I thought, well, maybe she's ready now. So I came back, and once again, and there was no, um, nothing spoken about um, I don't want to write, but I could tell she didn't want to, so I let it go. Then we were coming to the end of the group, and I was saying, I've enjoyed being with you so much. And this woman, Martha, leaned forward with her hands, with her elbows on her knees and her, you know, like this, And she said, you know, I I wanted to tell you why why I didn't want to write. So that's the first time it had been spoken, but here she was speaking it out loud. And she said, when I was in third grade, so if she's 86, that's like 78 years ago. When I was in third grade, our teacher had given us an assignment to bring a poem in and recite it to the class. And so at that point, this is kind of a long story, but it's worthwhile. So she stood up with her walker and, you know, she, her, 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 she was balanced on her walker. Her her shoulders were straight. Her, she had real um, posture. And so then she, she said this poem and it wasn't a haiku. it It was a fairly, you know, medium sized poem that she knew by heart that she had memorized for her third grade class. And the teacher, she said, The teacher had told her that her poem, she didn't do the assignment correctly and her poem wouldn't be accepted with the other children's poems. So it may be hard to believe, but um, for like a long time, 78 years, she had carried that injury about her creative voice around with her. And here she was able to um, share it with me and share it with people who were her peers and so the reason I'm sharing this story is I feel that, um, we, we think we have to, you know, be right and proper and perfect, but I often feel that something has happened in childhood that has sort of taken away from us this birthright of being able to be creative and use our own voice, mm-hmm. use your own words in, in whatever way, whatever feral way you would like to experiment with. And, and so a lot of the work that I do, getting back to this work, is to <clears throat> make it safe for people to take a risk. Sort of this very sort of close idea of risk and safety and have them kind of overlap. Um, so I don't know if that speaks to what we're talking about, Ramdev. but I, Of course it does. But I feel that that sense of, you know, that adults can think of all kinds of ways to... Um, cut themselves off from and thinking I have to make it. So other people will approve of it is certainly one of them.
2: Could you tell us the address of your website and maybe mention those two books that you've written?
0: Sure. So, um, the first book, um, and, uh, you know, I was part of that unfolding. I was talking about, and, you know, a mutual friend of ours is Jim Fadiman. Right. And, and, you know, Jim helped to found the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology, and currently is doing a lot of work around microdosing. But about 28, what is it? 28 years ago, um, I had been uh, hired to teach a class in poetry therapy at John F. Kennedy University in the Graduate School of Psychology. So I, I put together um, a course reader for that about poetry therapy, like. 300 pages of articles and stuff about using poetry as healing. And I thought, well, I've never done this before. I better take it to somebody who knows what they're doing. So I, I took this course reader to Jim Fadiman. And I remember standing on his the apron of his driveway on Colby in Menlo Park, and he was looking through this book, of course, this course reader. He said, you should make a copy of this and send it to Jeremy Tarcher. <laughs> and that's you know,
2: a, that's the way to write a book. You've got it there already.
0: <laughs> well, but that's not what the book became. but oh. um, and then, you know, sort of the synchronicity of things. what Jim didn't know is eight years prior to that, I had sent poems out to publishers, and one of them was Jeremy Tarcher, even though they didn't publish poetry, and I had no idea that he would be even been interested. but so that eight months prior to that moment on jim's at Jim's driveway, I sent these poems to Jeremy Tarcher. He called me. He called me on the phone five days later, and he said, "You know, we don't sell. We don't publish poetry, and poetry doesn't sell. But I'm about to go on vacation, and I'm going to take your poems with me."
2: <laughs> well, um, so far you still haven't told us the name of the books.
0: <laughs> I know. So, so anyway, this is just a little sort of story that you know they just don't they don't help them by magic. So. Jim sent a recommendation letter, and then Jeremy said, I'm interested in talking to you. So the first book um, I wrote is called Finding What You Didn't Lose. And it's based on what we were just talking about, that my sense that we come in as children with creativity, with our own voice. And when I wrote to Jeremy about my idea, I included a little quatrain by E.E. E. Cummings. that goes, The Trick of Finding What You Didn't Lose. Existing's tricky, but to live's a gift. The teachable imposture of always arriving at that place you never left. So when I wrote to Jeremy saying what my idea was, I said, This is describes it. He says he wrote back, said, Let's call the book Finding What You Didn't Lose. Expressing your truth and creativity through poem making. So that was nineteen ninety-five and then nineteen ninety-seven. He wanted me to do a second one. So that second book is called Poetic Medicine, The Healing Art of Poem Making. Poetic Medicine, The Healing Art of Poem Making.
2: Okay. And what about your website?
0: The website is just um, poeticmedicine.org. Okay. You know, www.poeticmedicine.org. And something that's a little more like alive and breathing. Um, I mean, the website is certainly worth going to, but... There's If you do the Institute for Poetic Medicine Facebook, there's a lot of juicy things on that website, and I want to thank Claire Densmore for helping to keep that so alive.
2: Okay. Maybe I'll put in a plug for the Living Dying Project website, which as of yesterday was updated. We have a great new homepage and everything, Ah. livingdying.org. And if this is not too difficult, I remember some years ago i I, i'm on your mailing list of course and in fact i i should mention to people that i really encourage you to get on john's mailing list because he sends out a newsletter uh, at least a couple times a year through email and you had such a moving poem by your sister who i believe had down syndrome and i believed was did she die then eventually
0: she, yeah, Holly died um, in, in May of 2013.
2: Do you have that poem that I was I'm thinking of convenient?'
0: I, I'm not, I, I have a couple of poems. I, I don't think I have a poem by Holly right in front of me. I have I, and then it was, there was a poem I wrote for my other sister who's also died.
2: No, there for, was something that Holly wrote or you wrote for Holly that was in one of the newsletters that's just I found so moving. I should have asked you about this before we we started. But that's okay if it's not around. Let me just say, though, that there's just a lot of beautiful stuff in John's newsletter.
0: And and something that's important to say, Ramdev, is that, and I haven't spoken about this, but there's me and what I've done, but the Institute funds projects across the country. When you name those different groups that we bring poetry to, veterans, to people dealing with addiction, to... Um, um, women who have suffered, anybody who suffered domestic abuse, um, working with people with traumatic brain injury, working with refugees and immigrants, um, all that work is being done by our poetry partners around the country, people doing brilliant work. Um, Myrna Ann Hecht, working with refugees and immigrants for eight years up in Tukwila, which is just south of Seattle. You could check out a wonderful book that got published of their work called Our Table of Memories our table of memories, um, she works with a, a particular class at a high school, and there's like 13 countries represented in that one high school class. Wow! And so um, I'm really proud of the work we do with bringing poetry and giving people um, a voice, you know, who are often marginalized, you know, so-called marginalized by this culture, but whose voices are really the ones we most need to hear so I do have
2: before we bring it to a close do you have a poem or two that you'd like to read
0: yeah let's see um so okay so this is a grief poem this is a poem that I wrote after my sister Holly died um you know for a year it was you know, I could just start thinking about her. I'd just start crying. I, you know, it was just how it was. I mean, she's, wish we had a way to show her picture. But I wrote a poem called Days of Rain. Days of Rain. Opened me up to feel due words. Philip Booth. I want the losing it all, as when it rains hard. I want letting it all loose to open myself to the only true opener of my freer, falling, feeling. I want that dense drape of drenched space to drop into the entire air, the atmosphere, the ache, fall there, drawn down, drowned into the lowest ground of the great and good grieving, soaked into that low place of kind green grass and further then into the darker grit that gathers it, the one who finally gets it, who becomes exactly what it is, the one who lets the grieving sound out again, yet now holy hell returns it to the singular heart of mine that might, may, must grow greater through love's loss. And further, then into the darker grit that gathers it, the one who finally gets it, who becomes exactly what it is. Like not someone who tries to fix me, you know, not someone who tries to make it better. Right. The one who becomes exactly what it is. The one who lets the grieving sound out again, yet now wholly held, returns it to the singular. Heart of mine, that might, may, must grow greater through love's loss. It's called Days of Rain. Thank you. So,
2: so uh, John and I have been having a conversation. I don't know if it's how clear it is, but. John and I uh, see each other, are in each other's presence very seldom. But for some reason, there's always been a deep, deep love between us. Uh, as I mentioned, he wrote to the Hanuman Foundation back in 1974, and I wrote back. He asked some questions about service, and mm. somehow we connected. We we bump into each other at out at Commonweal sometimes when they're having a, a cancer symposium or something, a healing symposium or... Uh, maybe we'll meet at the Fatiman's anniversary party coming up, whatever, we'll see. but
0: That'd be sweet.
2: Uh, I've always really appreciated you in, in my life here. Sorry for the noise. And uh, I remember once you sent me an email, uh, I don't know even what it was about, but at the end you said, uh, I'm glad to be close to you. Mm. And I've, I've, always, I've always remembered that phrase. And to be honest with you, to confess, I've used it a few times myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> steal well, great poets. you're concerned about, you know, they steal. They well,
2: I don't know if you can copyright just that one phrase or anything, but, you know, it's just, it it's so succinctly puts something that mm. people kind of beat around the bush about again and again, you know, mm. and you just like, put it right out there, I'm glad to be close to you. And uh, it, it, that really encompasses so many different kinds of feelings. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for this time together. Uh, I'll invite you to say anything else you'd like, if anything at all, to bring this to a close, or we can let it be what it is right now.
0: Well, let it be. Um, so thank you. You know. Um, you know, at that time when I was in travail and Ram Dass said you couldn't get away if you tried, you know, he was he how right he was, you know. Um, and, I mean, when,
2: uh, when you said that, the immediate thought to me that what he was meaning was that you can't get away from God, that you might think that you're separated, you might think you've got so many problems that...
0: Not not just separated Ramdev, but completely uh, like thrown into outer darkness, you know, on purpose.
2: But you can't get away from God. I mean, like, I mean, I think Maharaji even had a line once where he said something. uh, You might forget me, but I'm never going to forget you.
0: Right. right, Once I've I've got you, I'm never going to let go. (laughs) Right. Well, I do think that's what he meant. And I think that 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 the other meaning was also helpful to me, you know, that I that I had that i had to live with what i was living with yeah um, you know like and nothing was going to change that so that that actually proved to be quite it fierce i heard it fiercely i didn't hear it at that time it had proved to be an important way of being able to stay that i it's a, i could stay with myself you know hopefully i'll continue to feel that way here here's a poem um, This is called When Jewels Sing. So um, those radiance results from earth's pressure, life working on us with each moment's precision into a clear-cut uniqueness. A community of precious human beings with origins primitive and wild as diamonds, faceted by skilled and invisible hands that turn us upon a wheel dusted with God's bright, dark silence. We become men and women joined to walk swarthy, holy, original, transparent. Catching first light of day upon ourselves, our voices sing of truth and loveliness in response to vows first sung to us by stars. Catching first light of day upon ourselves, our voices sing of truth and loveliness, in response to vows, first sung to us by stars.
2: Written by John Fox.
0: That's what they say.
2: <laughs> or somebody, somebody, no, that, somebody that was using your hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, No, somebody was using my hand.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, John. Oh, I, I touch your feet, I touch your heart, I appreciate our friendship. I'm so glad to be close to you.
0: <laughs> Likewise. And, and Jai Hanuman.
2: Jai Hanuman.